like genuinely when I saw that 45% of grades at UVic are an A minus or higher, I thought to myself like there's something that I'm missing. <laughs> I, I think I'm misunderstanding something like this can't mean what I think it means. Just how are grades given out? You get them on every essay, exam, report, whatever. But is there any consistency across the school? Turns out, maybe not. But there's a lot of really interesting reasons for that, some more surprising than others. Martlet's senior staff editor, Mary Haig, did a deep dive into UVic's grading system to check out just how many A's are given out and who they're going to. Hey, I'm Laura Smith, and thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Martlet Pod, a podcast that covers the most important news stories from the latest issue of UVic's student-run newspaper. The Martlet Pod is produced in the studios of CFUV, here on the traditional territory of Lokwungan and Wasainich peoples in Victoria, BC. We'll also be chatting about... The UVic Chair in Transgender Studies hosts an online conference to share research done by trans and gender diverse scholars from around the globe. We had uh, 376 people registered at this conference. We also had people from many more countries. So in the past, uh, we had 15, 16 countries represented. At this conference, we had 23 countries represented. And don't forget that the UVSS election is coming up quickly. But first, we'll be talking all things grading with Mary. Sure, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, my name is Mary Haig. I am a senior staff editor at the Martlet. This is my second year in that position. And I'm also a political science student at UVic. Awesome. So. Today we are talking about your piece on grading. It didn't come out in the most recent issue of the Martlet, but the one before. Um, normally on the podcast we try to like align issue and podcast, but last week or last episode was super focused on the UVSS, and then this week we're like, oh, this is still really important. Um, so we can get right into that. Um, one of the kind of the big things that stood out for me from the article was that. UVic students are getting a lot of A's, um, way more than I feel like anyone kind of expected. Um, so maybe you could talk about that and also just like, is this something that's new? Um, has this always been a thing or has it been a little bit more like a new phenomenon? Sure. Yeah, the higher, the, the proportion of A grades that students are getting is what caught my eye in the first place and made me want to look into this article like genuinely when i saw that 45 percent of grades at uvic are an a minus or higher i thought to myself like there's something that i'm missing <laughs> i i think i'm misunderstanding something like this can't mean what i think it means spoiler alert it does mean what you think it means 45 percent of grades at uvic are an a minus or higher Crazy. um and i think like it it seems kind of shocking and alarming at first glance as a student because you like we put so much effort into school and those a grades feel quite hard to come by so like seeing this high percentage i think can be unsettling for a lot of people who work quite hard in their classes to get those grades on occasion but honestly i think the takeaway from 
part of the takeaway from the article is that it's maybe not as concerning as it feels at first glance. There are absolutely reasons why grading variation between departments and faculties matters a lot, and I get into that in the article. But I don't think the sort of, in certain contexts, just like the high proportion of A grades doesn't really matter as much as you might think. Mm. Um, part, of, part of the reason for that is that it's not a new phenomenon. Right. Um, for the most part. Uh, for one thing, the grades that UVic gives out are pretty similar to the grades given out um, by other post-secondary institutions. I looked at grading data from Simon Fraser University and from Vancouver Island University, um, just because they had data that was kind of comparable. Um, and UVic's grades are pretty similar. In terms of change over time, I got grading data from UVic going back to the 1997 school year. Um, and the mean grade point has increased a little bit. It was 5.25 in the 1997-98 year. And in 2018-2019, it was 5.54. Mm. So like, that's an increase. Um, but it's not like doesn't line up with people accusing like rampant grade inflation like that's not happening right um i would say the one change over time that i found quite striking is that the percentage of a plus grades given out has more than doubled it was oh, around five wow. percent in 97 and around 12 percent in 2018 um so that's interesting uh but i don't yeah so that that was interesting yeah that makes sense did the like whole COVID situation and like the pass fail grades last year play into this at all? Or is this something that you kind of just, you didn't look at those last grades because they didn't really track? Absolutely. So for most of the analysis that I did in the article, most of the stats that you see in there are not looking at COVID. Okay. So a lot of the data I will attribute to 2018, 2019 or earlier or some sort of average of that time period. Um, because the COVID year was such an anomaly. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, most of the things that we talk about in this article in terms of variation in grading and change over time and scholarships, look at the, uh, look at before the pandemic. Um, COVID and the COVID pass fail exception that UVic provided to students did have an impact on the grading data. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, in the spring 2020 semester, um, when the pandemic hit, UVic gave students the option of having grades for a class displayed as pass or fail. Mm. Um, so what this basically means is that a lot of grades that were lower likely show up on someone's transcript as pass or fail, not as the percentage grade and thus were excluded from the grading data. So as a result, the grading data that you see from UVic um, for the 2019-2020 school year is higher than normal. Mm -hmm. um, for example, 51.3% of grades were an A- minus or higher as opposed to the like average 45-ish percent from prior years. Um, so that but that anomaly is due to the COVID 
pass fail requirement, not some like grass drastic shift in grading. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you just mentioned faculties, which I think is probably when I was reading the article, like the thing that I was like, oh, whoa, like I did not realize how much of a range because you mentioned that there is just such a range between different faculties. Um, yeah, maybe you could just talk on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd start by saying there's a huge range between faculties. Um, for example, the percentage of A minus grades, percentage of A minus or higher mm -hmm. grades in the faculty of science is 33.1. Um, and then that same stat in education is 65.2%. Wow. Um, so like there's a pretty substantial range um, between faculties. When you break it down even further to departments, mm -hmm. the range expands even more. Like there hmm. are some departments where the percentage of grades that are in A minus or higher is like just over a quarter. And there are some departments where it's just under three quarters. So when you disaggregate the data even further, it's like even more expansive. To the extent that students are students' grades are being used to provide feedback or to compare students within a given discipline, this wide range of grades between different departments doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Grading is understood very differently in different academic disciplines. There's lots of good reasons for why some departments give out higher grades and some departments give out lower grades. Um, so like when students are being compared to other students who are being graded with the same rationale, these grading variations don't necessarily matter that much. Um, however, if when students are being compared across disciplines, mm. then it gets a lot trickier. Does UVic have any kind of like, I mean, I think most students have seen the whole like general UVic, like what stands is it A, B, etc. Does UVic, is that kind of the only policy or anything that like regulates grades across the school? Yeah, pretty much. Um, they have these qualitative descriptions in the academic calendar. And that's, that's basically the only university-wide mm. guidance on grading. Interesting. Um, when you were talking, because I know you talked to different profs and different people across the school, was there, what are some of the reasons given for like differences, especially like you were saying, the really big differences are between um, different departments there. Um, but yeah, was there any kind of big reasons for that? Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of reasons. Um, sometimes it has to do with the nature of course material and assessment itself. Mm -hmm. For example, one thing that you see um, is that writing-based disciplines tend to have a much lower proportion of A-plus grades than disciplines where you're assessed um, quantitatively, like mm. on an exam where you can get everything right, essentially. Right. Um, for, so one thing that caught my eye when I was looking at the grading data um, in the first place is that over half of engineering grades are an A minus or higher. Oh, wow. um, and that kind of caught me caught my eye because engineering has such a reputation for being difficult. I don't think the stat like changes that in mm -hmm. any way, um, but it still caught my eye. So I spoke to um, someone from the Department of Engineering and he gave me a few reasons for why their grades are higher um, in terms of having like 
higher standards to admit students to the program in the first place. But another one that really stuck out at me was that just based on how they assess students, it's possible to get 100%. Mm. So, and that shows in the data. I believe 17% of engineering grades are an A+. You look at a department, a writing-based um, discipline like English, and I think about 2% of the grades are an A+. Um, so in those disciplines where students are primarily being assessed through essays, um, you see a lot more students grouped in the B range and then less in the A minus and up range, but like a very small percentage in the A plus. Um, right. I spoke to the chair of the English department about that and he was like very transparent. Like it's really hard to get an A plus on an essay. I found it, I asked him um, what the highest grade he'll give out on a paper is and his response was something along the lines of like, I think I gave a hundred one, which like really hits home how yeah. rare those grades are in writing based disciplines. Um, and so, you know, some of it is kind of based on principles mm -hmm. about grading within a discipline. Like, um, he alluded to how there's kind of this belief that there is no such thing as a perfect essay. So it's kind of hard to give a hundred percent in that context, but also just like writing is difficult and students might not be working, um, in a way that gets a grades in that type of assessment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's really interesting listening, like reading that and then hearing you talk about it because like I know I'm in like a writing based discipline. So it is it's like you hear kind of that like students talking about that. And so it's interesting to hear like the actual data behind Absolutely. it. <laughs> this article was really fun for me being a student um, because it confirmed a lot of things that I kind of knew anecdotally, mm -hmm. for example, like how hard it is to get top grades in a writing based discipline. Um, it also challenged a lot of my assumptions. Mm -hmm. Like I was surprised by the percentage of grades that are in A minus or higher. And I think I was also surprised by like how it matters. I think I would have prior to writing this article, I think I would have just taken the sort of high amount of A grades to just be a bad thing at face value without right. really thinking about it. And I don't really think that's true. I think, you know, I, I think as long as people have a shared understanding of what a given grade means, it doesn't matter if 60% of students are getting an A minus or higher. Mm -hmm. Where it matters is when students are being compared. Right. Um, where there's like different notions of grading at play. I think kind of having a more specific understanding of why and how grading matters is maybe the main thing that I took away mm -hmm. from this article. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you're saying like when you're in like one program, the like high percentage of grades, that's not really a big deal, but then it's, yeah, the comparisons. So I think one of the things you were talking about is like scholarships, like how are scholarships affected by the grading distribution? Yeah, so I kind of took a very specific case study for scholarships mm -hmm. to try to understand it. Um, 
because there's so much information out there. Right. Basically, in terms of university-wide scholarships that are assessed based on grades alone, Mm -hmm. being at a department that has, being in a department that has higher grades is an advantage. Right. Um, It's worth noting first that there are lots of other scholarships available to students, like departments give out department-specific awards, there are scholarships that look at more than academic criteria. So this by no, in no way means that like, if you're in a department with lower grades, you won't receive any scholarships. Like that's not true. Um, However, for scholarships like the President's Scholarship, which is the biggest university-wide grades-based scholarship, it is an advantage to be in a department that gives out a higher proportion of those really, like the highest grades, mm-hmm. basically A plus grades. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of how that works, it's um, important to note first that being in a faculty that gives out a higher proportion of top grades doesn't actually have an impact. So okay. the way that student awards and <laughs> financial aid distributes the scholarship um, is they divide up the sort of pool of of money available um, between each faculty proportional to the number of students that are in that faculty. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'm going to make up numbers because I don't actually know the data for this, but like say the faculty of science has 25% of students in the university, they get 25% of president scholarship money. However, once you narrow down the lens to looking at a given faculty, they don't adjust the money that's given out based on department. So being in a department that gives out higher grades is an advantage. The way that I was able to, and I was I was basically told this by student awards and financial aid, but I wanted to look for data to kind of make the example clear. Mm-hmm. Um, And that was kind of tricky because student awards and financial aid does not um, report the department that a student receiving a scholarship is from. So they'll Mm -hmm. say like, oh, we gave out 40 president scholarships to social sciences. They won't break it down to psychology, political science, anthropology, etc. However, um, the faculty of social sciences um, does publicly show some of this data through their Rising Stars showcase. Mm. Uh, So Rising Stars is something that students can be part of voluntarily. So basically, if a social sciences student has received a scholarship, they're invited by the faculty to attend this award ceremony and have their um, little bio and list of awards included in this PowerPoint presentation, which is publicly available. So I used the Rising Stars presentations going back, I think, eight or so years Mm -hmm. to see what departments students uh, are getting president scholarships in. So it's worth noting, the the point of that explanation is basically this data, these data are, that don't encompass all social science students. It's social sciences students who have chosen to submit their information Mm -hmm. to Rising Stars. 
However, looking at the Rising Stars data shows that 50% uh, of scholar of president scholarships in the past eight years have gone to psychology students. Mm -hmm. That number jumped out at me because I was pretty sure that uh, psych students don't compose 50% of the social sciences student body. So I wanted to check basically see if I could verify that. It's tricky because basically anything that could be used to indicate student population is like loosely tied to the number of people enrolled in a class in a department. Mm. Um, however, the headcount statistic from the grading reports themselves indicates the number of grades given out by a specific department. And since um, students in a department will like mostly be taking classes from that department and the people taking classes from a department will be mostly of that department. It provides a sort of proxy yeah. measure yeah. of enrollment data. So that's what I use basically out of necessity. Um, so psych students compose 30% of the um, headcount. Mm -hmm. of social sciences. So basically the takeaway from that is that the psych example confirms what I was basically told by student awards and financial aid, which is that students in departments with a higher with a higher proportion of top grades will disproportionately receive university-wide grades-based scholarships. Is there any scenario in which like the faculty grades kind of compare with each other? Is this kind of like, I know you talked about grad school emissions. Is that where this kind of comes into play, the difference between like faculties? Yeah, I would say grading variation more generally between disciplines, so department or faculty, right. does matter in certain contexts for grad school admission. Mm. So again, it's not all scenarios either. For example, like, most people applying to grad school in a specific discipline are competing against people who also have undergrads in the same discipline as mm, them. So yeah. for example, if someone's applying for a master's of science in chemistry, there's a pretty good chance they have a bachelor of science in chemistry yeah. and so do a lot of the other applicants, or at any rate, they probably have a bachelor of science in a science discipline. Um, and so the grading variation between applicants, A, probably isn't that significant, and B, is likely understood by the people making admissions decisions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of grad school contexts, like grading variation doesn't necessarily matter that much. However, it is with um, admission to programs that draw applicants from a wide range of undergrad disciplines that things get a little more tricky. Mm. It's worth noting that a lot of these programs, um, so for example, like med school, law school, masters of business administration, a lot of these programs look at um, other factors. They don't just assess people based on GPA, right. but to the extent that they look at students' grades, variation between departments is not necessarily taken into account. So mm -hmm. for example, UVic's Island Medical Program, which I believe is run jointly with UBC, um, UVic's Law School and UVic's MBA do not sort of 
look at students' GPAs differently based mm -hmm. on their undergrad discipline. So in that scenario, uh, coming from a discipline where 60% of grades are an A minus or higher likely is an advantage. Mm -hmm. um, the UVix Masters of Public Administration is somewhat unique in that it does assess students' GPAs differently based on the discipline that they're coming from. And they wrote in an email to me saying like, we're very aware that in certain disciplines or for applicants from other countries, sometimes a B plus average is like quite a significant achievement. So they're aware of um, different grading patterns that are taking that into account. But a lot of grad programs that draw applicants from a wide range of undergrad disciplines don't necessarily look at grading variants. Right. That makes sense. So, like, it's something to be aware of, but maybe, like, looking at this is not the thing to stake your whole degree decision on. No, it's absolutely not. Like, I mean, I think students are maybe likely to do better in disciplines that they care about anyways. Yeah. So I wouldn't, like, change your life plan based on this. Um, and also, it's worth noting that lots of those... Um, disciplines look at other factors so like law school looks at the lsat totally you know, the, the the only you're not only being assessed on your grades yeah um and one more thing i really wanted to ask you is when you were talking to some of these profs and like i know you talked to a range of people were most of them like fairly content with like the current grading system were any like oh this thing needs to change or were most of them just like yeah this is the way it is it's good that's a great question. I would say most of them were reasonably content. Some of them were surprised mm. um, when they, they didn't necessarily know those grading stats offhand and were surprised um, by what they heard. Right. But I would say in general, like profs feel like they're grading appropriately based on what they believe grades to mean and what grades mean within their discipline. Um, and to the extent that the, the, a lot of them know that grading varies across the university, but they seem to be pretty comfortable knowing that there are good reasons for it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I would say for the most part. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, is there anything else that you've really wanted to talk about from this piece or anything you think that we've missed? Okay, yeah, I have two things yeah. I think I should mention. Okay, so for the first thing is under the like explanations for grading variance thing that we talked about earlier. Right. So another one of the reasons that grading might vary a lot between disciplines sometimes has to do with the actual content that's being presented to students as well. Um, for example, I talked to a prof from the Greek and Roman studies department who teaches GRS 200, mm -hmm. which is a class that like typically has a higher proportion of A grades. Um, and one of the explanations, I it's, you know, it's referred to by students on the internet as an easy A class. Um, and I asked the prof if she thought they were right. Um, and she basically told me that like, yeah, it is an easy A, but it's not an easy A because they're marking overly generously it's because the material is engaging and mm. because 
Um, so the, the top of, of the class is Greek and Roman mythology. And basically she argued that myths are something that is kind of, it's an oral history. It's something that is told in a way that makes it easy for people to remember. Students also often go into that class with um, some knowledge mm -hmm. of Greek mythology already. Um, so there's lots of reasons, both in terms of how students are assessed and the actual content that's presented um, that might lead to grading variation between departments. Right. The other thing that I wanted to say um, is that um, the faculty association, uh, which basically serves to advocate for professors, does not have a position on grading variation, but they really emphasize with grading policy and any other changes that their role is to protect um, the economy of departments within mm -hmm. the university. So they do come down on the side of like supporting disciplines to um, have different understandings of grading if, if they so choose. Right, that makes sense. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting about this day. Like I already said, um, when I was reading your article, like like you had said as well, like I was surprised and interested by so many of these aspects and things that I feel like you don't think about all that much. So it was great to talk to you today. Thank you. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. From March 11th to 14th, the UVic Chair in Transgender Studies hosted the fourth biannual Moving Trans History Forward Conference. This conference, hosted online this year, is a forum for research by trans and gender diverse scholars from around the globe. It featured topics that ranged from facial recognition to two-spirit education. While Chair Aaron Dever and his team faced challenges thanks to the pandemic, they were happy with the results. Uh, we were very challenged to figure out how to present this conference online in a way that would um, provide people with the experience that is very important to our constituency. There were nearly 100 presentations, and in addition to keynote speakers, there were virtual networking opportunities to try to emulate some of the social experience at a normal conference. For many, this conference allows a community to connect with each other that's not always available or accessible in other places. Especially for uh, the trans, non-binary, two-spirit, and gender-diverse community who are such a minority in the population at large, the experience of being together in a place where now we're the majority, uh, not just the majority, but almost everybody, uh, is a big part of the experience of the conference. The UVSS election is coming up, and the recent All Candidates Forum saw general agreement among everyone. The Directors of Campaigns and Community Relations is the only contested seat, and both candidates emphasize divestment as a number one priority. One candidate, Izzy Adachi, said that they would focus on getting fairer practicums, and the other, Robin Pollard, wants to push for an expansion of anti-racism and climate justice approaches. There was also just generally a pretty low turnout to the event, with student attendance less than 20. 
UVic undergrad students can vote in the UVSS elections for lead directors and on the referendum questions between 9 a.m. on March 24th and 12 p.m. on March 26th at webvote.uvic.ca. For more information on all the candidates and referendum questions, you can either check out the last issue of the Martlet or listen to the previous episode of the Martlet Pod. So that's another episode. Thank you for listening. To read more on the stories I mentioned here or to check out the rest of the latest issue, make sure to head over to martlet.ca or pick up a copy for free. With the weather getting nicer, you might find yourself wandering around downtown. So while you're checking out those cherry blossoms, swing by our newspaper boxes at the intersection of Michigan and Government, Ford and Blanchard, or Niagara and Menzies. The Martlet Pod is recorded in the studios of CFUV. Check them out at cfuv.ca. I'm Laura Smith.